When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Enterprise, the recruitment company, improving people's lives for over 50 years. Time to talk a little bit of rugby. Got Richard Lowe on the line, someone that actually knows something about rugby, unlike me. G'day, Richard. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for your time. Not a problem. Hey, Lowe, um, before we start, um, can you explain the breakdown law to me? Because I'm just completely lost. Well, it's changed a lot since my day, and I don't think the referees are seeing off the same hymn sheet as the players, and I think every outing seems to be a wee bit different. And as as uh, a lot of us said, us old ones was, was that we're at a function last week for the Crusaders Hall of Fame, we reckon if they brought back rucking, that would tidy it up. Oh, music to my ears. Nothing wrong with a decent old ruck. But, but in seriousness... Do, do you believe the players actually understand the breakdown rule or not? Oh, yes and no. Um, the idea is, is to, you know, gain possession of the ball. And, uh, you know, they, they'll do anything to do that. And I suppose that the way they do it and in the eyes, they have to do it correctly in the eyes of the referee. And, you know, like like anything, everyone has their opinion about a situation, and if the referee doesn't actually agree with the play, the way the player's going about it, he'll blow his whistle. But another one that used to uh, irritate probably former players and watchers of the game is we things like the uh, advantage law. How many phases do you have to get or go through before advantage is over? I know years ago when they started the advantage rules back when we were playing. Uh, a group of Waikato referees decided the moment you kick the ball, if you've got advantage and you decide to kick the ball, the advantage was over. So you see it now where the 5'8 will do a cross kick to the winger and the winger will drop it. They'll come back for the infringement. Well, to me, that team has decided that their 5'8's ability to kick the ball crossfield to the winger and for the winger to catch it and score a try mm. that was their choice if they haven't got the ability to do that without making a mistake they shouldn't have done it and you see in the uh, back in the days I think might have been once Robbie Deans took over the coaching of the Crusaders and just Marshall was the halfback if they got an advantage close to the line Justin would basically just drop the ball in front of them and regather it straight away. But the referee, would say that was a knock-on. So the referee would blow his whistle and say pre-kick. Well, Justin was on the mark, he tapped it. The others went back 10 yards and Canterbury would score or the Crusaders would score a try. That's using rules and regulations around it. But, yeah, you know, for some reason they went away from that one. But, hey, everyone for their own, and that's what makes rugby uh one of those games that you know it keeps changing there's a changing landscape all the time 
Speaking of changing, Lowy, what about the rolling mall off the line out five metres away? What's your take on that? Is that fair? Because I, I, to me, that's a blight on the game. I, I just, I don't like that. Well, you're talking to the old front rower here. So, what about the blight on the game having fast wingers? <laughs> well, well, there's nothing wrong with having fast wingers, but I, but I guess what I'm meaning well, is, good rolling mall either. Yeah. It's always a bit like. If your your uh, your support players, their props or whatever, throw the big tall skinny fella in the air to get the ball, there is a way of stopping that rolling more if you sack that player immediately. You're not put them down; you have to sack them. And the terminology "sack" from one referee to the other is probably how would I say it is a bit out there. So if you've got the rolling more sacked right from the start of the line-out, then the ability to pick it up by another player off the ground, turn and start a rolling more's there. You know, it's within the rules of the game, if it can be used appropriately, it's a hell of a way to score points. Certainly is. It's very, very difficult to counter, as we see um, time and time and time again. A um, little bit of controversy over the um, Christchurch Boys High Christ College match. Did, did you make it? What did you make of the game itself? No, I didn't make it. I heard about it and I heard, heard all about the game. Uh, yeah, tradition, there's a lot of tradition. It's happened for hundreds of years, probably. I don't know how many years it's been going for, but it's... A bit of tradition, a bit of controversy. Yeah, there again, you know, um, it's gone down in history. And I bet you all those uh, that are involved in the game this year will be looking forward to next year's game. And, you know, it's a, it's a wee bit of, um, how, do, how do I say, there's always a turnover of players. Um, a lot of, dare I say it, old boys go along and watch the game. And unfortunately, some of those old boys can't behave themselves. And that's unfortunate but that it doesn't happen every year it's just occasionally and i think the fact that um you know there's a lot of history around the game that's what makes it it's a wee bit like if the 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 blues and the crusaders are playing or dare i say the chiefs and the crusaders there's a heap of interest in that because of the tradition and the rivalry but if you look, dare I say it, that game that everyone switched off on, uh, I think it was the Highlanders versus the Force. I don't like to be rude, but who cared? You know, it's not, the result wasn't meaningful, so they go on. So I think tradition plays a big part on how individuals conduct themselves both on the field and off. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, I think also we're looking at some of the off-build behaviour with a lens that it probably wasn't looked at in the past. I was interested to read a couple of articles about it where people were saying, oh, you know, this didn't happen. Oh, I, I suspect it did happen. It's just that it wasn't focused on as much, right? Well, all those years ago, um, people didn't have a phone in their back pocket that they could take photos of and that sort of thing. So, you know, yes, there's uh, some probably not unsavoury behaviour, but it was never recorded. We're in an era now where you don't dare do anything because someone over there has got a camera. And, you know, personally, my camera, my phone and with the camera stays in my pocket unless I want to record the grandkids or something happening like that. But, you know, mm. some people have to have their phone out 24-7. And, you know, that's just how society's moved. Um, good in some ways, bad in others.
Um, big game coming up, obviously. Um, Crusaders versus Hurricane. Crusaders have been severely impacted by injury. John Afoa is playing. Actually, I wondered, Lowy, probably not far off giving you the call. Have you had a phone call or not? No, we had the old person's meeting the other week on that. Um, last Friday, it was the Crusaders uh, Hall of Fame uh, first dinner, luncheon. And there were a few there, and you know, ex-players uh, that would probably take the field well before me. Dave Hewitt, Greg Somerville, uh, Greg Teak was there. And one I think probably should have taken the field to do him a lot of good is uh, Kevin Nepia. Yeah, probably, probably right there. I did see Ryan Crotty got the call up. He looked pretty trim. Um, it was yeah, what did I say? Twenty nineteen since he last played uh, for the Crusaders. He's been playing rugby in uh, Japan. It's a bit like John uh, Afoa has been playing in uh, France. So yes, the the, the grade of rugby slightly different, but they've been out on the field doing it. And I thought John Afoa did exceptionally well uh, last weekend. Good on him. <laughs> It's, we're hearing that um, the rugby union is, the NZRFU, is considering a dispensation for him uh, to be able to continue playing because we know that um, he hadn't played, I, I saw Razor on the other day, um, said that you know if he hadn't played before 1st of August or uh, April, hadn't played enough games, can't play. What do, you, what do you make of that? Do you think it's something that the NZRFU should allow? Well, the rules are there to be broken, so to speak, but... Uh, the Crusaders have lost uh, three All Blacks, All Black props for a starter, and a fourth one, uh, Oli Jaeger, not uh, good either. So when you consider that, and as everyone knows, the front row is not somewhere where you put someone that is not up to scratch um, at that level, and you take the Hurricanes with Numia and Lomax there as their two starting props, they're very good props. So if you're only a half half um, trained I'd say I'm going to say half cooked but a yeah, reasonably young club player to go up against men like that that's going to bend you in half and do damage so you know safety reasons if nothing else bringing people back like John Afoa I haven't got a problem with but just on on the Crusaders um, this injury tolls we've talked about Lowy is pretty pretty horrendous are they get, is, it, is it too much for them to overcome, do you think? Or do you think they've still got a chance of, of getting through here? Um, I think they're probably going to get Black out of back for, the, for next week, um, if not that, the semi, if that's required. Um, do you think that they do have the, they've still got the, the player depth to go through and, and, and challenge potentially the Chiefs? Well, when you look at it, they're starting front row with uh, big Tamati Williams, John Afar and... Uh, Cody Taylor, they're not a problem. Um, their, their forward pack for the week's actually quite strong, I think. Um, you know, they've moved Barrett to the side of the scrum, not a problem. Uh, they're right through, they're trying out a young halfback again in the, off the bench, uh, things like that. I, I, I think there is depth there, but, you know, if if they start to get, whether it's Jack Goodhill or... or um, Enor get a knock and can't continue, that's when they get a bit thin in the midfield. You know, they've got good young fellas like the Dallas McLeod, but he's come on leaps and bounds. Um, but they not only lost those players with injury, I think they lost three or four to the New Zealand under 20 side when you have to wonder about the timing of their competition with 
with that because, you know, um, they select these young players to get, you know, experience and uh, some of them actually go better than others and become major parts of the team. Why have a competition where the New Zealand under-20 take precedence over the finals of Super Rugby? It's odd to me. I couldn't agree more. Actually, I hadn't, I hadn't actually caught up with that, and, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, barring injuries, yes. Barring any further injuries, yes. I think I took that out of your answer. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll go. They'll think. I think it'll boil down to with. Well, the New Zealand's got three very good sides. Um, I think in the hunt, uh, the Blues, the Chiefs, and the Crusaders. Yeah, I believe the uh, on their day the Hurricanes can be quite good, but you saw the other week they couldn't get up over the Blues, and I don't think the Blues actually, dare I say, played that well against the Hurricanes, but they took them out. Um, on their day, the Blues can be very, very dangerous, as we know the Chiefs and the Crusaders can be also. I just think the um, the the uh, Hurricanes just have that off day or off period in their game sometimes. You know, sometimes they can come out and play like world beaters and they are dangerous so you know we've got plenty of depth there across the board as, as far as the New Zealand side is concerned it's just who you know the teams that turn up and find a way of winning and I think at this at this stage the Chiefs have to be number one and then the Crusaders after that. Mm. I think one thing I haven't heard anyone talk about but potentially after after to, um, Saturday uh, after the Hurricanes Crusaders game, um, and we get into that quarterfinal, we're in sudden death for Scott Razor Robinson. Could be his last game in charge of the Crusaders. That's, um, you know, that could be all over, all she wrote. Yep, him and uh, Sam Whitelock. Uh, so, you know, it's a lot lot on it week in, week out, isn't it? Yes, yeah, certainly is. Are you hearing any rumours about um, potential um, coach, Crusaders coach replacement for Razor? What are you, are you hearing anything? No, not yet. Um, I think there's been such a... You take those that have had something to do with the Crusaders over the years, right right from Leon McDonald, Jason Holland, to um, Jason Ryan, you know, uh, O'Gara. He had a time with the Crusaders, went over and uh, took over La Rochelle and can't miss a beat now. So a lot of those players that have had a bit of time with the Crusaders have actually got very big jobs elsewhere. So, yeah, there, there'll be a dig deep. There'll be someone put their hand up. Uh, you know, it's a wee bit like, um, I suppose, the Hurricanes. They were first cattle to rank, I suppose. You know, I don't know who who it would be or could be for the Crusaders, but there'll be someone there. And I suspect someone like Tom Coventry might even take over as head coach up at the Blues. Just on that, and we're just about out of time, but but does the next Crusaders coach have to be an ex-Crusaders player or associated with the club? If you looked at who has captained and who has um, coached, they haven't had many. And it was quite interesting. You know, you've got Bart Stewart here the first year and then you went Wayne Smith, uh, Robbie Deans, Toddy Blackadder, and now um, Razor. But, you know, they have always selected from within but the interesting thing, they've only had something like 280 odd players the next closest to them is 
the um, Chiefs, and they've had about 300 and something odd players. I believe the Hurricanes are well into their 400. So, you know, they've, been, you know, they've normally come within, and I suspect uh, they might try to do it again. It's interesting, isn't it? It is, it is a brotherhood, <laughs> the old uh, Crusaders. I know we get given a, a hard time um, as supporters around the rest of the country, but you can't argue with success. And and I just, um, when everyone gives me a hard time about it, Lowy, I just say, back, come come back and spoke, come back and talk to me when you've won. Look, I don't even know how many titles. Um, I, I take it as a badge of honour that they hate us. <laughs> so for me, I love yeah, it. But, yeah, the number of players that have actually played a hundred games is huge. I think it's well in the mid-20s now. And, you know, that, that's a lot of games for a lot of players over a 20-year period. Oh, or 20, what is it, six-year period? But, you know, to only have damn near half as many uh, half as many players as, say, the Hurricanes, I don't know the exact number. But that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive. That's a that's an incredible stat. It's not one that I've ever heard or, or, or thought of before. But when you think about it, yeah, um, you, I, you know, I can still think back of the great Crusaders teams, and you can name those players, and the the continuity and the crossover between eras is something that they've always done, haven't they? You've got great players who played half their career, but then they also played with the great players of now. You know, it's it's kind of that thing that as you can just see and look at it. Yeah, you know, they say about that first year, sure, someone had to set, set the benchmark the very first year. But, you know, players players in that team were Justin Marshall, uh, Toddy Blackadder, uh, Razor. And then, you know, you'd, you'd take that. And the only the one captain I missed out before is Ruben Thorne. You know, you, you put them in, and Scotty Barrett, of course, the captain now. You know... There's not a lot. There's a lot of crossover. So, Scotty Robson was here. Yeah, he was the player in the very first year of it, but he's the coach of it now, and that tells you a lot about the organisation. I think certainly does. All right, mate. Got to go. Thanks for your time, Richard Lowe. Great to have you on the Enterprise Canary Sports Corner this morning. Um, really looking forward to tonight's game: Hurricanes versus Crusaders. Seven oh five kickoff up there at the Caketon, um, watching it with great interest. Thanks for your time, mate. All right, time for what's going on in Canterbury, brought to us by Trident Home, designed for living, built for life. Jacob, what is going on in Canterbury this morning, mate? Oh, there's always a lot going on in Canterbury, as you would know, Andy. Uh, for example, listening to Landscapes, Soundwalk. Um, hold on, hold on. Is that a misprint? Because I've put looking at landscapes, um, listening to landscapes. What? What? Do you, do you know what that is? Because I have no idea. Well, I can tell you a little bit. It's a guided walk to Diamond Harbour. Locations of Margaret are Stoddart paintings, approached by ear rather than eye. Okay. Yeah, it that's sounds fairly existential. What's that word? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Um, where today it is um, Diamond Harbour Jetty. You get there at two thirty till three. So it's an hour, two thirty till three thirty, at Diamond Harbour. And the best part, it's free. So oh. go along and have a listen. Yeah, I know. There's nothing better than any something that's free, right, Andy? Oh uh, well, you would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Mo- moving know. on. Moving on swiftly. Uh, <laughs> how about uh, the Mainland Big Band at the Cashmere Club? 
Right. Well, that will be uh, fantastic. A large group of experienced musicians to provide a variety of music for all two to dance, boogie and jive to. Do you know what boogieing is? A boogieing? Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got more questions about driving, to be honest. I would think uh, driving is before my time. Oh, I think, okay. I think, I think that, I know what boogie, well, boogies, well, yeah, um, it's an old term. I think it comes out of the 60s, might be 50s, 60s, um, boogie. Oh, oh yeah. But anyway, mind you, uh, well, so maybe we should get someone to text us and let us know what um, boogieing, the dif- what is the difference between a boogie and a jive? Mm, that's a great idea because we're both clearly unsure. But if Absolutely. You, if you want to find out more, um, head down to the Cashmere Club on Fifth, uh, Colombo Street at 7.30 tonight. 7.30 till 10.30. That's good. That, um, and it's 10 bucks, so um, it should be good to get to. Now, I'm worried about this next one. Oh, why is um, that? Inflatable fun. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> So we spoke about this with Ricardo last week, Andy. Um, it's at Linwood Pool, um, and you can you can rush, rush, jump, slide, slip, biff, and bash your way through our inflatable obstacle course at Linwood Pool every Saturday. Oh, I feel much better now. I've scrolled down the page because <laughs> I was I was worried that we were going somewhere where I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> um, we should be talking about it at this time of the morning. Okay. Yeah. I okay. Know. I mean, you can have all sorts of fun with inflatables these days, Andy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Really? Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I, so I'm so I'm told. So I'm told. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, let's carry on. So this is where did you say this is at the Linwood Pool um, today from 1 p.m. till 3 p.m. and standard entry pool fees. All right, um, Art Centre Craft Market. Um, the only reason I would go to this is to buy the food, quite frankly. Mm, same here, but, actually. But, um, but you know, like, okay, so people do like arts and crafts, but for me, the art centre craft market's all about the food. Some of that fantastic ethnic, the smell is amazing. Mm, yeah, too right. Uh, freshly cooked bread. Um, I'm sure you can you can uh, reminisce on the smells of, of, of those at um, craft markets like that. But, uh yeah, head, head down to the Arts Centre on Worcester uh, Boulevard um, tomorrow uh, at 10am and it will be going until 3pm. An eclectic array of locally hand, handcrafted products, glass, wood, jewellery, sculpture, artwork, stuffed toys, suitable for age, all ages and food. That's the way I'd put that. Oh, heck yeah. Fantastic food. All right, well, that is the uh, What's On in Canterbury, brought to us by um, Trident Homes, proud sponsors of the Trident Homes Tactics. Check out their modern home plans at tridenthomes.nz. All right, welcome back to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Time for our panel, um, our expert sports panel this morning. We've got um, Garth Galloway and Brian Ashby, well-known as Gash. G'day, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. We'll start with you, Garth. Ryan Krauser, breaking the world shot put record. Tom Wash and Jack O'Gill. Um, what do you reckon? Is he, is he untouchable? Well, it looks like he is. I mean, that that, that achievement of his is is quite incredible, beating his own um, record, of course. I mean, the, he's just he's gargantuan, isn't he? Six foot seven, and uh, you know, a huge one hundred and forty five kilos. He does look untouchable. And when I, you know, when we were talking about that off air, it reminded me a little bit of, of you know, Bob Beeman, the the wonderful American 
uh, long jumper who held that record. Uh, for, you know, he broke the record in the 1968 Olympics and held that one for 23 years, which was incredible. I, I, I just can't see anyone getting near Krauser. Uh, you might have a different idea. Yes, yeah, I was going to ask <laughs> no. you about that. Did, did you see the footage where they have to just about move the backboard? <laughs> it was incredible, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, he... He, he's as Garth says, he's a monster of a man, and he's been out here a few times. The um, international track meet in, in Christchurch, and they they did the shot put in the middle of town, and uh, right in the middle of the city, taking it to the streets. And um, Tom Walsh, he's tried beating him up by um, taking him out hunting, you know, out into the backcountry and um, wearing him down that way. But look, I mean, he's 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 about um, I think about point six five or something like that, better than Tom Walsh's PB, and and, and Jacko Gill's sort of behind that. So for now. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Garth. The, the guy is untouchable, and, and everyone else is just scrapping for the minor medals. World shot put record there of, of over half a metre more. Um, in a sport where you get incremental gains at this level, that, that's just nothing short of outstanding, isn't it, um, Garth? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's freakish. And, um, you know, that's why I, you just can't see anyone in the world getting close to him for a long period of time. And I, and I think that the comparison to Beeman, you know, who held that record for 23 mm. years, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. And, and that's the sort of um, thing I think we're looking at with a, with a guy like Krauser. I, I just can't see anyone getting near him in the immediate future. Gash, though, um, victories like that, um, that in, that massive jump does lead to questions in people's minds. Is it legit with someone like Krauser? Um, look, I, I, I take it at face value now. If you'd turned the clock back yeah. 10 years ago, um, I would have struggled with it a wee bit. But these days in the age, um, track and field, yeah, cycling took a lot of um, heat, deservedly so, but track and field was, was even worse. Um, but in the age of biological passports, um, I think it's been a bit of a game changer and it is that much harder for people to get away with um, the, 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 the serial um, cheating that was going on before in, in any number of sports. They, you, you will get caught out if, you're, um, if, if your blood levels sort of move too far and, and, and it raises you know, alarms with, within the, um, the drug testing community. So yeah, he, he will be probably one of the most tested athletes in the world at the moment um you know people like Lance Armstrong have argued that he was in the past as, as well but um it was it was a different world back then uh, and the protocols and everything was was so much different so look I, I take it on face value um the guy is a monster of a man it, it, you know as Garth mentioned I think six foot seven um I, I've, I've had to hold a microphone up to the guy's face you know you know how small I am he, he's, he's a giant of a man and I'm no I'll, I'll take it as it stands it's sad, isn't it, Garth, though, that, that our minds or my mind immediately jumps to that when you see that sort of change. It's sort of an indictment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, trust is a, is a major thing, isn't it? And, and I think I'm like Brian. I, I agree with his approach. You know, it, I take it at face value as well with the testing and so on that goes on now. Um, you know, I remember watching Armstrong for years and, and the sort of, I mean, that's an extraordinary story, Lance Armstrong, isn't it? And his his constant denials and so on. It's it's a quite incredible story, and he was so nasty and unpleasant to anyone who ever challenged him. Um, but I think things have improved a lot since then, and the, the testing is more sophisticated. So again, 
in the absence of proof to the contrary, I'm prepared to take it at face value and leave it at that. And I think that's fair. Mm. Look, I agree with you. It's just one of those things that, um, you know, unfortunately, it's always there in the background. Hey, let's change tax a little bit. Let's talk about rugby. Sam Whitelock, um, what an amazing stalwart he's been for New Zealand rugby, Canterbury rugby, All Black rugby. Well deserved um, heading off to France after the World Cup. Um, Gash, though, is it time that we started to look at the All Black eligibility, the overseas rule? We're losing players um, left, right and centre. Whitelock's a slightly different case. I mean, he's going to have played 150 games, hopefully, by the time for the All Blacks, by the time this happens. But, you know, is is reality setting in here? Are we going to have to start to look at this? No, um, th- this has always been an issue. I, I know from time to time, you know, the Leicester playing in Oku scenario is is the more significant one. I think at the moment, Sam Whitelock is, you know, one of the all-time greats of New Zealand rugby. But at at, at 34, uh, he's earned the right to, you know, go out however, w- whichever way he, he chooses. Leicester playing in Oku at age 23 and just two tests behind him. Um, you know, this 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 is the one that really concerns me. Um, but then in his mind, you know, he, he's been, you know, I know right from the go-get, the minute he sort of appeared on the scene, the NRL's been lurking in the background, and that's been a consideration for him. So he's probably cut from a different cloth um, to, to a great many of the, the rugby players uh, around at whatever age. Um, he's always been open to, to looking for the bigger opportunity offshore and, and perhaps the black jersey hasn't meant as much to him. Do we do we look for players that are based offshore? I don't know. I mean, there's there's a number of issues around that. Obviously, what it, the impact that it has on the domestic game is is the one example that's held up. But how hard is it to um, get releases from clubs to reintegrate um, players that have been playing a different style of rugby in different parts of the world back into the team? Do we actually need them? And, and I'd say, look, in, in, in most cases, I, I think there would be very few um, cases, very few positions where we would need to look offshore. So, um, yeah, it, it is frustrating. It's disappointing to lose players, particularly the young ones. But I, I, I don't think it's anything that we... Um, it, it's a debate that will never go away, but I, I don't think we need to change the, the, the rules as they stand at the moment. What about you, Garth? What's your take on it? Do we need to be looking at this more closely? Um, as Gash said, Lester Fayanuku, 23 years old, um, potentially lost to New Zealand rugby. You know, you never say never, but um, yeah, it's there are a lot of players potentially heading overseas even before they may make the grades too, as well, isn't there? That we're we're losing them at both ends. Yeah, and I think that you know, I I just wonder if we're going to see more of that as well. I I, I don't. I agree with Brian that I don't think we're at the point where you need to look at the eligibility rules at the moment, but it, it may come. Um, you know, I, he's off to play for Poe, where his brother is, you know, Luke is, is there as well for Sam Wakelock. And I, I think he'll love that competition. I, I was, at, you know, I watched the um, La Rochelle playing Leinster in the, um, you know, the European Cup final a couple of weeks ago. And of course, um, Ronan Nogara coaching La Rochelle, and it was an extraordinary game. The thing about that, though, that occurred to me is the number of people watching the game. It was just absolutely packed out and chocker and passionate, you know. And and when I compare it to what's happening in New Zealand at the moment and the crowds that we're seeing, it, it's a it looks like a very different product. Um, and so I think, you know, I do think there's an issue for uh, New Zealand rugby there, uh, retaining players. And if, if we see younger ones starting to go, then they may well have to start reconsidering it. But at the moment... Uh, I think you'll see them doing, you know, very much along the lines of New Zealand cricket and Trent Bolt, 
If you go, you don't play. Mm. Well, we're going to talk cricket in a minute. All right, welcome back to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. I'm interested in your thoughts on crowds and and participation in rugby. Um, Gash, it's interesting, isn't it? We seem to be seeing a a resurgence in crowds um, for the women's game, maybe, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on as well. But, but yeah, are you worried about what we're seeing um, in, in rugby? I mean, we had a sellout the other night at Orange Theory Stadium. Um, is, it, is, it the t- is it the type of game that draws the crowd, or is it just the fact that we're just, we're just worn out? Um, look, I mean, there's, there's, any, there's a whole number of issues here. Um, yeah, the women's game is artificially propping it up at the moment. Um, there, there is there is a real problem with the men's game. Now, longer term, you've you've got the the ongoing head injury scenario. Um, so so young kids playing the games, parents are looking at it and saying, oh, you know, is this really what we want? Um, you know, the extreme physicality of the game. So that's one issue. But but the other one with with the crowds, um, from 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 getting bums on seats point of view, the trend started sort of probably around about 2003, 2004. I think Super Rugby peaked about 02, And it's slowly started sliding backwards ever since. It's been, yeah, there's been the odd, you know, rise and so on. And, and yeah, there was a sellout at, at, at Orange Theory Stadium. Well, Orange Theory Stadium holds 17,000 roughly. You can bump it up to, to 20 on a big occasion. But Lancaster Park, you, you know, back in the day, they would fill Lancaster Park with 37,000, you know, an extra... 20,000. So the marketers, the, the difficulty has been is that the marketers have gotten hold of the game and they've said, how do we improve it, the competition? I know, let's make it bigger. So we've pandered to um, you know, a rubbish team, an extra rubbish team from South Africa, a um, couple of rubbish teams from Australia, and all it's done is diluted what was a very good um, and interesting competition, and it's dumbed it down uh, too much of, of what was a good thing. And, and now people have People are bored with it. They, people are just quite simply bored with it because they've had too much with it. How do you fix that? I, I don't know how to fix that. That's that's well above my pay grade. All those things, the head injury things. I don't, I don't know how to solve that. So there are huge, there are huge issues confronting the game. Um, we know what the issues are. Coming up with the answers, well, um, you know, good luck with that. Garth, is it the time? I mean, those those daytime games seem to attract a bigger crowd. Is the fact that it's at night, particularly in Canterbury here at this time of the year. We've been lucky so far, but um, you know, you get those god awful evenings out there, and that's an awful stadium. Is it? I, I know we're not talking. You know, I know we're talking about a, a, a nationwide issue here, but but is it the time of the games? Uh, well, I think that's that's always been an issue, and. Uh, you know, many of us love going to a game at 2.30 in the afternoon. That was always, you know, the thing. And, I, and just talking about crowds, uh, Brian, and the, you, you know, you get a University A. Dad always talked about how University A, Southern Final and Dunedin, you'd have Carisbrook completely fill, filled out. Um, so, you know, things have changed a lot. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, was, I was sitting at the pub the other day with a couple of mates having a pint, and, and there were four of us there. All of us used to watch a huge amount of rugby. And... You know, while I didn't play the game to you know to any level, you know, I, I've always been a fan, and I haven't watched a game this year, and so, and none of us wow. had WhatsApp down or watched a, a whole game. So, you know, that 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 was an interesting thing, and yet I have watched some of the rugby from Europe. I've really enjoyed that, and I think it's you know I feel like it's a better product. I, you know, when you have a competition for me where the Highlanders are battling away for eighth place, having won four games or something. Uh, and they can still qualify, you know, for the finals, for the quarterfinals. It just, you know, eight out of 12 teams get through. It, it's a silly competition. Um, the rules are hard to understand. 
And I think the game's lost a lot of people and it's going to have to work incredibly hard to get them back with football, the numbers in football being far higher now, the change in population demographics over here, and I think an institution which has had its head in the sand for far too long. It's a really good point, Garth, makes about the rules as well. You try and explain a game of rugby oh. to someone from the USA or something like that. We get really good at, at coaches get really good at coaching to the rules, so we create new ones, and it just it, it, it snowballs in it, and, 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 and it makes it more and more complicated and a very difficult game to understand. It's fine for tragics like, like, like you, and maybe not Garth because he's not watching it at the moment, but you and I, Andy, who, <laughs> who, oh, I, I love rugby union, but for other people trying to explain a game of rugby union to someone, um, you know, good luck. I, I, I couldn't agree more, um, Gash. I mean, I love rugby, but um, I just can't understand the breakdown rule, honestly. Uh, I'm sure there's a rule there, but I just watch it, and for me it's a mystery which way the referee's going to put his arm out when he gives the inevitable penalty or, or whatever. So it's, I, don't, I don't know. I just lose it. Anyway, hey, um, speaking of crowds, though, and uh, Garth, I know you will have been all over this, the IPL final, um, Modi Stadium, what did I hear? 130,000 people. At that game, they don't have any crowd yeah. problems in the ITL, IPL, do they? <laughs> no, and, and the game finished, so it was played. It started. Well, it was played over three days, wasn't it? And it was um, it was reduced by, uh, by, by because of rain. So you know, the Titans scored two hundred and fourteen for four, and that meant that the the, the Super Kings had to get one hundred and seventy, and they you know they got them off the last ball with Jadeja um, clipping away a four. I mean, it was just. It was an extraordinary match. It really was, and and that crowd had that they were still there at two in the morning. The game finished at at one forty five a.m., and you know there've been people who've been there for hours and hours and hours, and the passion is there. I, I've actually you know I've gone back to when McCullum stopped playing in the IPL. I stopped watching it a bit, but I've watched the highlights packages of sort of ten twelve minutes, which I really enjoy, and and I think the competition this year has been fantastic, and and. Incredible to see just how well uh, you know our own Devon Conway has done and scoring 47 in the final and being the top scorer for the winners. Um, just just a terrific season for him. So it's been a it's been a good competition and and the new one starts in America in July, of course. So another and yet another tournament starting up, which is going to cause problems for cricket, I think. Well, that's I mean that that is the point, Gash. I mean, obviously an incredible game. I don't know if you saw it, but. Yeah, um, these IPL tournaments, they're so rich for the players, aren't they? Um, players like Devin Conway. I mean, are we going to see him play for the Black Caps or is he just going to keep taking the money? Is he going to be a mercenary T20 player for hire going on? Well, I, I, yeah, if, if maybe if his career trajectory had been a little bit different had he been born in New Zealand and come into the Black Caps at, at, you know, in his early 20s or you know, something along those lines. But, of course, he's had to wait and set out, you know, the eligibility scenario. So, um, yeah, clearly he's got a real desire to make his mark in international cricket. So I think we, you know, from a national point of view, I'm fingers crossed that we, we get a little bit lucky with, with um, Conway and he, he does stick around. But, you know, I mean, careers don't go forever and, you've, you've, you know, the old saying about making hay while the sun shines and every man has his price. So I'm just rolling yeah. out every cliche you can imagine here around money. Um but, but, look, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, we, we might get a little bit lucky with Devin Conway. Be an interesting one. Stephen Fleming, Garth Galloway, um, very successful coach. Next Black Cats coach, what do you reckon? 
Um, yeah, of the white ball cricket um, you'll be talking yes. about. So, uh, you know, Gary said, said publicly that, which I think is a, was insightful of him, um, that there, there could be, um, you know, the time is right for a red ball coach and then a white ball. Um, yeah, Fleming is, I, I think, probably has the best domestic record, and I'm talking about the IPL, of any coach in the world. They've, they've won it five times, the Chennai Super Kings. He's off to coach the Texas Super Kings as well. So they play uh, for a period of two weeks in July in America. Um, his record is, is exceptional. That's an incredibly comp- competitive competition. And, and you saw it the other day where uh, the Chennai Super Kings were all but out of the game and Jadeja came in and smashed it in the last over. It was quite incredible. So there's some magic about Fleming. Um, I, I don't know if he'd be interested in the national job uh, because he would probably have to take the 50-over team as well. Um, I don't think they'd have three coaches, but I, I may be wrong. Uh, but certainly, he's the right per- he's the right person for the job. Uh, he's clearly the outstanding contender around the world, and um, you know it would be lovely to see him filling the role. Gash, um, World Test Championship is being played. Um, it's actually going to be here on SENZ. We're taking coverage of it, seventh to the eleventh of June at the Oval, India versus uh, Australia. You looking forward to that? Yeah, I am. I love Test cricket, very much so. And, um, you know, obviously very fond memories of, of what New Zealand uh, achieved, the inaugural champs. And I, I've, I've, I'm a bit of a tragic for Indian cricket, uh, to be honest. I, I, and it, it simply goes back to when John Wright was, was uh, coaching India. And that, to me, they, they were always just another Test side. But, but just his insights and, and, and reading um, you know, his books and things on... on on how they operate and the personalities from within, and and for me, um, look, Indian the national side is is kind of one of my favourite international teams. So yeah, it's a time of the year. I, I love this time of the year um, from a sporting point of view. You know, you've got the tennis Grand Slams um, underway. We've just had the Giro d'Italia. We've got Tour de France around the corner, and so on. Um, the, the golf um, majors and things, everything all just sort of happens. It's a different sort of sporting style and obviously the ashes and, and things, all these things happening. And we're in the heart of winter and the, the, the TV viewing from the Northern Hemisphere this time of the year is perfect. So having a World Test Championship final um, caught in the middle of this, it's, um, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's Christmas and wintertime, isn't it? I couldn't agree more, and I, I agree with your thoughts on the Indian. I love the Indian cricket team. They're my second favourite team. I just love everything about them. Garth, uh, though, let's have a look at the game itself. Um, what do you make of it? Uh, Australia, India, who do you think is going to prevail? Well, it, I, I mean, my my heart says India and my head says Australia. So, um, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like both of you with the Indian cricket team. I love uh, Coley. I love the players who play around them. I love their approach. They don't take any nonsense at all from the, the bullying Australians. Um, oh, but yes. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is the conditions over there. And, you know, it's, it's June, so it's, pretty, it's early in the English season. Um, the ball, you know, much will depend on the condition. But if the ball seems around a little bit, well, I, you know, I think I'd probably favour Australia in those conditions. But they've got such a good attack. Um, they're, they're incredibly consistent in where they put the ball. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my heart says uh, I, I'd love India to win, but I think I'd put my, my house on Australia. All right. Well, we're just going to wait and see. Hey, guys, we're out of time. Really, really do appreciate it here on the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Show. The panel, Garth Galloway and Brian Ashby. Gash, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you again. Fantastic. Have a good weekend.
All right, uh, love the insight there. Plenty to talk about. Gee, we didn't even talk about the Rugby World Cup. We didn't even talk about the FIFA Women's World Cup. We just could have kept going. Anyway, maybe next week. All right, um, that is our show for the morning. Thanks so much. Really, really do appreciate your company. My name's Andy Thompson. Uh, thanks for your thanks for your company. Thanks for your support. Enterprise of the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner.